You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. On This is Critical, we examine all the cultural creeds you take for granted, like the Tom Wamsgan season of Succession, the next one, season four, in which he has a shot at the brass ring. That's not going to end with him on top. Any more than Kendall's shot, season one, Shiv's shot, season two, or Roman's shot, season three, ended with them on top. So don't root for Tom too much. One thing we learned from that season finale on Sunday is that this show is more of a comedy than a tragedy. So look at all the good news. The episode ended with a wedding, the way comedies are supposed to, with a weakened right-wing media empire. That's great. And with the repellent three siblings not getting to own the world. So that all suggests this is going to be a lot more love than death on HBO's creepy masterpiece. Today's show is about another strange American phenomenon, Miss America. I finally saw On the Town with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra the other night. Do you remember it at all? It's got Vera Allen dancing opposite Gene Kelly, and her character is a Miss Turnstiles, which was, I guess, some fictional New York City neighborhood competition for the prettiest, most talented girl. It was probably based on Miss Subways. Gene Kelly's character thinks Vera Allen must be world famous because she's Miss Turnstiles and expects her name will open doors for all of them. In fact, no one knows who she is because New York City is filled with pretty girls and there's a new Miss Turnstiles crowned and probably a new Miss Everything crowned once a month. So it's a distinction that doesn't confer much distinction. So On the Town is set in 1944 in New York City during a gender bend of a fleet week. People are always being mistaken for other genders. It's, it's got a trio of Navy sailors in Manhattan to meet girls and see girly shows. These are called reviews. So the reviews are everywhere in the city at the time. They all have peekaboo outfits and identical dance numbers. A couple decades before On the Town takes place, in 1921, to be specific, another review started not far from Manhattan in Atlantic City. This is the one that crowned Margaret Gorman, the most beautiful bathing girl in America, and then renamed her simply Miss America. Basically, since the very start of that pageant, its name has opened it to charges that it's unseemly. Either it's too risque or it's too stultifyingly retrogressive. One thing Miss America has always done is push back against itself. In 1945, Bess Meyerson, the first Jewish Miss America, had already refused to change her name and was banned from many hotels and endorsements for being Jewish, so she quit her Miss America tour and traveled with the Anti-Defamation League instead. She went on to hold city offices and even run for Senate. So where did I learn all this about the history of pageants and Miss America in particular? From the brilliant Amy Argetsinger, my guest today. Amy is an editor at the Washington Post and the author of There She Was, The Secret History of Miss America. Amy joins me on today's show with Kate Schindel, Miss America 1998, who happens to be president of the Actors' Equity Association and author herself of Being Miss America Behind the Rhinestone Curtain. The first thing I wanted to know from both of them, 
Why is everyone so up in arms over this pageant all the time? First, Kate's take. Miss America occupies this very strange space where people view it and comment on it and or criticize it as if they have to accept, as if they have to buy what Miss America is selling. Um, huh. And instead of maybe representing everything we need to know about what it means to be a woman in America, maybe it's just the subset of people who find it interesting, who take their values mm-hmm. and their, you know, fortunes from the institution. And here's Amy's view. No, this is the thing that always amused me about Miss America and its critics, is that it's Miss America's critics buy into the whole Miss America myth almost as much as or more than the pageant diehards do. You know, it's it's the the critics of the pageant who will say, you know, you know, why does she have to be walking around in a swimsuit for a uh, to win a scholarship? Or, you know, talking about diversity or talking about why this, why that? And mm. and it, it, why do you care what they do? Well, they care because on a certain level they bought into this whole Miss America as standing for something. I mean, it's it's that name which they stumbled upon really accidentally early on. It takes on this this meaning, and you feel like that's such a big thing to to live up to. And um, even people who don't want to have anything to do with Miss America feel like they should weigh in on what it should mean. That's incredibly interesting. It could be that this is just an opportunity to think about America in general Mm -hmm. or American womanhood um, in general. You know, I feel sort of the same way about, you know, the NFL or, or, you know, kind of women's tennis or, or even academia. Like, don't do it. If it's it's not (laughs) binding on you. Like, she doesn't have to wear a swimsuit in order to get a scholarship. She could go run for office or enter an essay contest. Like, it's very, interesting. Yeah, that is that is interesting to me and something I hadn't thought about before. Can you go back to tell us about the beginning of the pageant in those early years and also how it came by its name, which you say is sort of has become something of a burden for it? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, Miss America started really as a lark. It was a publicity stunt. Atlantic City was then one of the big deal beach resorts on the East Coast. It was Prohibition, 1921 is when it started. Uh, You could pretty easily get a drink in Atlantic City. Uh, It was a wild, fun place. The business community just wanted to extend the season past Labor Day. And so they decided to mount kind of a Mardi Gras type festival. It wasn't even centered around a beauty pageant Hmm. originally. A beauty pageant was just part of the sideshow. There had been beauty contests here and there, but what made this distinct was that they asked all of the newspapers, the major newspapers in a basically driving distance, Pittsburgh, Washington, Camden, New York City, asked hmm. them to pick the most beautiful girl of their community and send them to Atlantic City for this fall frolic festival. And But quickly, though, this, this sideshow became the main event. And in part, that was because everyone was wearing swimsuits. I mean, the entire festival... Cops and the firefighters were all wearing swimsuits, but then, of course, the ladies were in swimsuits, which were suddenly slinkier, uh, more streamlined than they had been a couple of years before. Wait, uh, sorry, Amy, sorry to interrupt. They were still made of wool. Like, they still came down oh, yeah. to your knees. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Did they? Down to your knees. It was, some of them it was scandalous. Uh, Mid-thigh. Mid-thigh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just spoke not long ago to... BB Shop, Miss America, nineteen forty-eight. Oh yes, who, yes. Who did? Who, what was her talent? Uh, vibraphones. Oh, vibraphones. She played sure. the vibes. Vibraphone. Yeah. yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Anyway, she she's just giving her competition swimsuit to the Smithsonian. Oh. And it's like this black and white zebra striped thing. It was like kind of an elastic and wool type thing, and um, yeah. yeah. But you know, by the late seventies. It was swimwear that was like very specifically meant only for competitions. Yeah. It was it was made of, you know, kind of like a girdle type material. It had this incredible mm-hmm. tailoring that kind of did this lift and separate. And, you know, it just elongated the torso in every way you would want it to. But you would never, ever, ever wear it into the water. Mm-hmm. So here you had basically the first beauty pageant with swimsuits. Uh, and, and it took off. It was 
it was kind of it got a lot of national press that year. It was really astounding. The the winner. I think it's important to note that the winner was 16 year old Margaret Gorman from Washington D.C. She wore the most old fashioned bathing costume of them all. It was like tiered layers of chiffon, and she had long Mary Pickford curls. Uh, and it, it was a huge sensation. And they decided to hold it again the next year, and it got bigger and more women came back. Little Margaret Gorman came back to defend her title, but this, the Washington Examiner was sending some other uh, Miss Washington D.C. So they had to come up with a name for the defending champion, and they're like, "Well, let's just call her Miss America." And ha. so they really stumbled upon that. It was not supposed to be this definitional thing. Yeah. But once you call someone Miss America, yeah. you want to think long and hard about what that means. And damned if they didn't spend a century trying to figure out what that's supposed to stand for. Yes. I, have, I mean, amazing that it ended up doubling as an interrogation into the country itself <laughs> and womanhood itself. I mean, mm-hmm. you're right that that was a burden it didn't it didn't quite intend to take on. They just wanted to sell more French fries in Atlantic City, and this is what it brought us. Amy, so in your book, you describe the solidarity among former Miss Americas. You start with this reunion of former Miss Americas. And so tell me about the sisterhood, the this, this solidarity. Or am I just kind of idealizing this? No, this is, this is the thing that surprised me the most when I started reporting on the whole Miss America world. Because as an outsider, as, as a viewer of this, I really thought, no offense, Kate, I really thought of you all as very individual retro figures. I mean, retro specific to your year. It's like flipping through a yearbook. Okay, here's one class, here's another. And I spoke to a former Miss America who happens to mention in passing, well, when we were all at the Miss America retreat, we were like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, they're on group emails and visiting with each other. Even though they had never, they were different generations, they had not competed against each other. They had this, this bond, this connection. And, you know, I saw the same thing with, uh, you know, the young women who never make it to Miss America, who are just competing to try to be Miss Virginia. Uh, Mm -hmm. They compete against each other year after year. I mean, it's it's a hobby. It's not just it's not just a, a rite of passage. It is something that some of these women do for seven years of their lives mm-hmm. from the age of like 17 to 25. They're going to compete against each other one weekend. One of them's going to win, you know, and then she's going to drive down the road to see the rest of them compete against each other. And of course, they're all friends. <laughs> you know, we s- <laughs> okay, Kate. <laughs> yeah, no. tell us otherwise. <laughs> I mean, there is, that's not an imaginary element. There are a lot of people I've met through the pageant experience, which by now has been a couple decades ago for me, uh, who I'm still in touch with and or value. And part of it is that you go through this very unusual crucible together. And while you do it, the higher you advance, the more you find yourself sort of being pelted from the outside for um, perpetuating stereotypes or any number of other things. So there is a bonding there. I also make my living in the theater, and I am an elected uh, officer of a union. And when an employer brings in, but we're a family mm. to any workplace, mm-hmm. um, you also have to recognize that it it can cover a multitude of sins, right? It can become mm-hmm. a way to um, manipulate or abuse workers, which I'm not suggesting is what it means in the context of Miss America. But there can be a toxicity. There's an element of sit down and shut up and don't rock the boat, right? Well, sure. Or else you're attacking other women. It can be absolutely genuine and wonderful um, to have that community. And it, it can also be a real challenge. Right. 
And you're, uh, you know, you're absolutely right that the, uh, and I've seen this come under critique recently that the model of the family as the workplace, and I did say sisterhood. Every time you set up a imagined blood relation among people, that's in some ways meant to compensate them for all the things they're not getting, promotions, money, a place in the hierarchy. Um, you know, oh, but you're family. And so, you know, that should make up for anything the employer does to oppress you. But what I was imagining was a kind of something closer to a union, um, a sort of a kind of solidarity and investment in each other's advancement and well-being that doesn't have to happen individual by individual, but maybe because you've been through the crucible, you'd give someone a hand up, or am I wrong? No. You know, if they needed it. No, I think you're right. I think that there are, there can be incredibly supportive relationships, and I have benefited from them, and then also tried to aid those women who were coming up behind me. I think that's totally genuine. Hmm. Um, You know, there's a there's a thing that people used to say about judging Miss America at its various levels. Um, mm. Does she want the job? Can she do the job? And mm. most important to me, most interesting, will she be manageable if she gets the job, mm. <laughs> right? And so there's that, there's always this tension between being manageable, being a pleaser, being altruistic and having a servant's heart and the actual mm. young women who, as the generations go by, are more and more ambitious and less and less likely to apologize for it. And this is the great drama of what happened with Miss America over the past 50 years. This is the dynamic that kind of, it both fueled the pageant, it both allowed it to live far beyond its natural lifespan, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also in part what has maybe caused it to come apart at the seams. I think one of the things that's really interesting about this whole institution throughout its history is that, as Amy's describing, this is literally a contest created by the business owners of Atlantic mm-hmm. City. And throughout its history, there's been that question of what does a what does the patriarchy think it's appropriate for young women to be seen in, right? And when you have young women taking more agency over how they are portrayed or what they want to wear, um, it can be very offensive to some folks who wish that those women would just look pretty and sit in the corner while the grown-ups talk. Mm. There can be a real Pygmalion element to it. So Hmm. you have to think about, I think whether or not the statements that we are here to empower young women, lift them up, raise their voices, match the actions in any and all cases. Mm. And the times it's been hardest for Mm -hmm. Miss America to justify itself or to survive was when they weren't really valuing women's voices. Those were just the talking Mm. points. And conversely, the times when Miss America has made the greatest leaps, I believe, is Mm. when the women who held the titles had some agency. Whether they seized it for themselves or whether they came along during Hmm. an era like I did where the activism was 95% of the job and and we could just uh, be passionate on behalf of causes we believed in. After the break, how a beauty pageant became a platform for activism. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. $30. 
Welcome back to This is Critical. My guests today are Kate Schindel, a former Miss America, and Amy Argetsinger, who wrote a book about the secret history of Miss America. One of the reasons I wanted to do a show on Miss America is because of a theory I have. So here's how it goes. In the unsavory world of 19th century novels, poor girls who happen to be beautiful could advance their social status by marrying rich men. It seemed to me that pageants are kind of a modern version of that. A young woman can elevate her social class very quickly through pageants. Think of Judy Woodruff winning Miss Young Augusta or Oprah Winfrey winning Miss Black Tennessee. I wanted to run this theory by the experts. Miss America definitely has a history of being this organization that got a certain kind of young woman out of her small town and into the broader world. And for many decades, it was, like I think you're suggesting here, via marriage. Uh, It was almost like a ritual, it seemed like, through the 50s and the 60s that Miss America would be launched on her, on her, her reign, her tour. And by the end of the year, she would meet a young man or perhaps a somewhat older man uh, and would get married very quickly. And, hmm. you know, some of these women married show business professionals or they married guys who were climbing the corporate ladder. Miss America hmm. back then was very involved with corporate sponsorships, you know, blue chip hmm. brands that would spend a lot of money. By the 70s and 80s, you saw kind of a parallel phenomenon coming on where it was young women who were suddenly launched out of their small town and met with these career opportunities or had ambitions awakened for them that they might not have had otherwise. Kate, tell me about your experience kind of vis-a-vis class in particular. It's a really interesting question. And and sure, you might get some nice jewelry, but you're sure from the beginning that it's only going to last a year, right? Um, Ah. So in, in some ways... It is, it's very different from the marriage model, but that's, a, that's actually a pretty fascinating hypothesis. You know, my experience, I grew up middle class in South Jersey, and for me, becoming Miss America or participating in Miss America wasn't about meeting a husband. Uh, it wasn't about trying to advance myself in terms of class. It was also during an era in which the activism was the focus, and that was what really lit me up. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should explain about, about activism. I mean, Kate was Miss America in 1998, and through the 90s, and it's continued to be part of Miss America, but it's really most emphasized in the 1990s, Miss Americas were required to take on what was called a platform, an advocacy cause. There was a Miss America who took on the cause of homelessness, another took on diabetes awareness. You know, education was a popular one. Uh, Kate took on AIDS awareness in, yeah. in the 1990s. And, you know, she clashed with organizers, I think, a number of times. It was With, like, everyone uh, at some point, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Kate is remembered as a pretty dynamic Miss America, uh, mm-hmm. got a lot of media attention. And that was because she broke out of the mold and, mm-hmm. you know, was able to cut through the noise at a time when Miss America was beginning to lose its grip on the culture. It was a very interesting era. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate being recognized as someone who broke the mold. Uh, I, I will never object to that. Uh, but in reality, I stepped into a mold that had been created and found some new pathways and new approaches. And certainly the issue I was focused on had a lot to do with that. To me, the most interesting part of the Miss America experience was by far the work that I did with HIV AIDS education, whether it was going and speaking to high school students or raising money or um, just talking about it openly as someone who represented a traditionally conservative organization and, and what that added up to, if you're me, is that you're 20 years old and you have access mm. to an audience because of the institution you represent that won't let most AIDS activists in the door. And that was a niche and it was really special to me um, and yeah. it felt like it felt important. 
I sort of feel like, you know, you keep telling yourselves that this is a, this is a traditional program and I'll be here, you know, advancing this cause at... Yeah, I'll be over here getting shit done. Part of the power there, though, in a way, was sort of letting most of the culture underestimate Miss America mm. so that those of you who were crowned Miss America could essentially hit the news cycle with an element of surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, am I right? It was like, I always felt like there was a sense that you all could get a lot of media coverage because it was like the, wow, can you believe it? This Miss America has a, uh, something she really believes in. And would you believe it? This Miss America is really smart and articulate and well-educated, not just a beauty queen, not just another pretty face. Oh my God, the number of headlines that <laughs> on Miss right. America stories, not just a pretty face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's got to get old after a while, right? And I often felt that tension in recent years with Miss America. It was like, they're kind of demanding respect and want to, you know, brand Miss America as, you know, this admirable young woman who the world must pay attention to. And unfortunately, it was sort of the element of surprise mm. and underestimation that worked in its favor. And I don't know how you get around that. I think you just lean right into it. I mean, vaulting over Mm. low expectations was one of the more (laughs) fun things that I've gotten to do throughout (laughs) my life. It's like, oh, oh, okay, there's the bar. (laughs) Well, I brought my springboard, you know, and... um, Under promise, over deliver. That is totally what Miss America seems to be about. Yeah, that's the one Um, formula. (laughs) I mean, that was super exciting, but I think it was always also important to me to to see the picture with clear eyes. I mean, I still did wear a swimsuit and I still did put on an evening gown. And, you know, it wasn't like I won the Nobel Peace Prize. I won Miss America. So I I think you have to own all the parts of it and recognize that some of them just don't make a lot of sense when you try to combine them with each other, unless you are very, very sophisticated and effective in your messaging, which has in many ways been a real challenge. So speaking of messaging, I want to talk about what it takes to win Miss America. In my mind, there's a humanity and warmth in the self-presentation. They're the prettiest, most graceful, most outgoing girls in your hometown. Miss America is confusing for people because you see it on TV and they would make it seem like this is like a decathlon where there are certain events you must excel in. And that's what you see. There's, There's the evening gown walk and there's the swimsuit and there's the little you know, two-minute question they answer. And then there's, of course, the the talent. And so most of us viewers would be baffled at the end by who won because it wasn't necessarily the person who seemed to have the best presentation in each of these. And But when you spend time around it, you've come to realize it's a contest of charisma and it's all been decided in these interviews that are not even shown on TV. Uh-huh. It really is kind of the... Who do you like? Who's got that good energy? I mean, obviously, talent matters. Kate had a killer talent, as, you know, Mm -hmm. evidenced by the fact that she actually went on to have a career Mm -hmm. in in her talent. I refer to my own talent as the loudest ever rendition of Don't Rain on My Parade. (laughs) But Kate won it in the interview room, and I think Kate would agree with that. Kate, I hope you can put aside your natural modesty for a second to say how you won in my own mind at the time, I just thought I've got to show up in Atlantic City knowing that no one has worked harder than I have on the various disciplines. Maybe they've worked as hard, but nobody's worked harder, right? As I've observed it over the years, it's been really interesting to me to notice that the individual competitions aren't actually the thing that wins Miss America. Hmm. Um mm-hmm. The thing that wins Miss America is being the person who figures out or just naturally for some people pops on stage or on camera, no matter what ridiculous situation she has been put in and has to do with a straight face. And that's where I think it, um, you know, Amy makes the point that it's generally more of a charisma competition than an actual beauty contest. Although in the early days, they did measure people's heads. That's you know, true. And, wow. Um, a little phrenology. Um, and, and many other parts of their bodies, you know. And in more recent years, you know, often the most talented person is not the one who gets 
you know, the flowers at the end of the night. Like I didn't even think it was <laughs> the best performance I've ever given. Um, but I was really <laughs> passionate about the fact that we knew exactly how to prevent HIV from being transmitted. And we just weren't talking hmm. about it because it was uncomfortable. And hmm. that was what I went there to communicate. And I guess did okay. D- I mean, did you step by step, I don't, I hope this isn't embarrassing, like try to figure out exactly how to hold your body in space and walk in heels and, you know, all the stuff that's maybe less noble than um, work with HIV AIDS. Just the stuff that girls sitting at home, like myself, thought, gosh, if I could just do that, hold my head high and, you know, speak eloquently. And Oh, of course. And what is that? What was that like training for? Very odd in some ways because I was, you know, I was a theater geek. I wasn't the homecoming queen. And, you know, one of the things that's always struck me as most ironic about the whole swimsuit debate is that for me, it was empowering in a very unexpected way. Like I knew once I could get up on stage in a bathing suit and walk Mm -hmm. across that stage in front of a television audience that I could kind of do anything I wanted. But yeah, like the individual competitions aren't something to just shrug about if mm-hmm. you feel like you are going to be good in the interview room. There was definitely mm-hmm. an element of uh, how do you move through space? How do you occupy space? What are you communicating with the things you choose to wear? Um, how do you make mm-hmm. it consistent throughout the process? And I did. I will say, though, as someone who who reported this out, is that the irony of the big swimsuit debate, and just to catch people up, in 2018, after a big leadership overhaul, which is a whole nother story, the Miss America organization decided to stop the swimsuit competition. The last time there was a swimsuit competition was 2017. And they did this in the name of, of progress, uh, basically the argument that you, you, know, you want to be able to include women of all body types, people who didn't necessarily feel comfortable with this. You don't want it to be about looks, you know, the whole thing about, you know, handing out scholarships because of a swimsuit competition. They finally pulled the plug on it kind of in the name of this younger generation. And yet it was an older generation making this decision and Hmm. setting aside the philosophical (laughs) discussion, what I found, it was more like a business school case study here. The Hmm. problem with that was that The pageant world had shrunk such that whereas women in the 70s might have been very conflicted, oh, I want to be Miss America, but it's a swimsuit and I'm going to be in a swimsuit. I'm not comfortable. I got to do this. By this new century, if you were a young woman who was not comfortable with a swimsuit competition, you weren't going anywhere near a pageant anyway. Mm -hmm. The pageant Hmm. world of devotees who are keeping this thing alive had shrunk down to people who had basically made their peace with a swimsuit competition, Mm. and in some cases, were very enthusiastic about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there are some young women who love to work out, who are are really great at swimsuit competitions, who instantly felt alienated, like, well, well, dang, now what? (laughs) Well, and I think also attempting to have that conversation without any of those generational voices at the table is insane. I mean, because Mm -hmm. you're right, Amy, Older generations of women who had gone through the program, essentially, made the decision for the next generations of contestants that instead of celebrating their various Mm. body types, just take the swimsuit away so they don't have to show their bodies. Well, Mm -hmm. maybe they actually would rather celebrate the fact that they don't look like the contestants of years past, but it's awfully hard to guess at that. It should have been a conversation that was more complete. Can I just say, though, people would often look at all of the things that that the Miss America contestants would go through to prepare as kind Mm -hmm. of exotic and a little intense and a little crazy. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, critics would think it just gave off the whiff of trying too hard. Mm. To be honest, though, it's like, man, I wish someone had given me a workup like this when I was 20 or even 30. You know, oh, yeah, like occupational training. I, and especially when it's like, you know, sitting there and it's like training for an interview. I mean, not only did I look at this and think, wow, I wish I had done that. And is it too late? <laughs> I mean, these days it's like any any corporate executive, any any politician, anyone who's like 
going into media, has had training that is kind of like this. Yeah. You know, you're not being taught about, you know, necessarily how to suck in your gut for a swimsuit walk, but people are paying big money to have consultants come in and tell them about body language and Mm -hmm. nonverbal communication and how to message correctly. It's a useful art and science, I'd say. Yeah, not unlike being a first-time political candidate. Yeah, that's extremely interesting. I mean, I think what you're describing to me is that some people really found that through the pageant. They could use the pageant and not be used by it. Yeah, I think, you know, the question of how to reconcile sort of third-wave feminism and Miss America continuing to exist is that mindset, the, you know, my sexuality is powerful and... Uh, the various contexts in which that plays out, um, that's not going away. After the break, how did Miss America go from a ratings juggernaut to being kicked off the broadcast schedule? You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome back to This is Critical. Today we're talking about Miss America with Kate Schindel, who won the pageant in 1988. With her is Amy Argetsinger, the author of a recent history of Miss America. I want to talk about the downfall, the downfall of the pageant. In your book, uh, Amy, There She Was, there's a very before and after. The pageant really changes. Uh, You know, I I think a big turning point was 1968, uh, which was when The feminists came to Atlantic City wanting to uh, burn Miss America to the ground. And Mm -hmm. I would argue they ended up giving it an injection of new life. Uh, Hmm. And I'm I'm not kidding. This was 1968, a group called New York Radical Women that was trying to get themselves on the map. These were women who had been instrumental in civil rights protests, in Vietnam protests, but they had found themselves marginalized by the men who were at the front of those organizations. They had this awakening, they wanted to launch the women's movement, and they made a very smart decision that a great way to capture media attention would be with a protest in Atlantic City, because Miss America at that point was Mm -hmm. the most watched show on television, got so much media attention. Indeed, when they came there, they, they tossed bras and girdles and issues of Cosmo into a trash can, they had a sheep in a beauty pageant sash. It was just a spectacular protest. It got a lot of attention and it kind of pushed the Miss America pageant off the front pages. And then they moved on. They they moved on to bigger causes, but it really left the pageant rattled. Like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? What do we do about this women's movement? Mm-hmm. What What is our role here? Should we fight it? Should we join it? And they never really resolved that issue. In many ways, I look at it, it's like, how did how did this thing from the 1920s make it to the 1950s? How did this hmm. hit TV show from the 1960s make it to the 1980s? I mean, it's absurd mm-hmm. that it's gone on this long. Yeah. Nothing lasts like this. But what happened is that the young women who were competing in Miss America were changing. You know, it was hmm. the 70s. These were baby mm-hmm. boomers. They were more ambitious. They were hungrier. They were just raised differently by virtue of the times than the women Mm -hmm. who had been competing in the 50s or the 60s. And in a way, they made the pageant a little more interesting. They were outspoken. Mm -hmm. They talked about politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really gave the pageant 
an injection of life. That's the, the Victoria's Secret Angels. Like they, they keep talking about how, like, you know, this incredible fall and now it's been canceled and there are no more angels. I mean, it was Everything just very short lived. <laughs> right, exactly. But it also, it also didn't, um, hasn't lasted as long, anywhere near as long as Miss America. Um, so you're right that instead of explaining its downfall, its longevity is, um, is maybe even more curious. But having said that, uh, I mean, yeah, there and there are a couple things going on, which is, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. Hmm. There's a whole lot going on beneath the surface. If you watch it on TV, you're not even aware of this subculture, this complicated community behind it. But it is a TV show. Uh, and its fortunes, its fame, were tied to ratings. Mm. And... Um, you know, I'd say the past 30 years of the pageant, maybe more, have mm-hmm. been this drama of how do we how do we stay alive? How do we keep going? You know, mm-hmm. the Vanessa Williams scandal has been talked about a lot. Um, and you could do an entire hour on that easily. Remind listeners who, who missed the Vanessa Williams scandal about that. Vanessa Williams in 1983 was the first African-American Miss America. Uh you know, the pageant had been literally segregated well into the 1950s. And then for any Black woman to break through after that was going to be very difficult because even when they didn't have rules prohibiting Black women from competing, it was it was just a institutionally segregated system very through this small town pipeline of little pageants that were invitation only and things like that. Vanessa came along and she was... You know, she was a theater student from Syracuse who had no interest in pageants. They begged her to enter. And next thing she knew, she was Miss America. Gorgeous, talented, well-spoken, just, you know, the full package. And her crowning was treated like a major civil rights breakthrough. She was mm-hmm. she was on all the front pages. This was like a Jackie Robinson moment. Mm-hmm. She was a true super celebrity that year. And about seven weeks before she was supposed to end her year as Miss America, Penthouse published nude photos of her that she had taken when she was 19 years old, that she thought would never see the light of day, that she mm. probably hadn't even seen herself. This incredibly exploitative, cruel moment. And the Miss America organization, rather than fighting for her, rather than standing up for her, mm-hmm. basically forced her to resign. But, you know, that almost killed the pageant because it was so reliant on sponsors and they were afraid the sponsors were going to bail. It was this very hand-to-mouth existence, even at the height of its power. So Miss America used to be a ratings magnet. I remember watching every year. But this year it's been downgraded to Peacock, the NBC streaming app. I'm not saying that's the end of the world, but it's certainly not the kind of ratings bonanza it used to be. How'd that happen? I mean, tastes change. Miss America was a big deal in large part because it was the first reality show. You know, in 1954, when live spectaculars were such a coveted part of of any broadcasting lineup, and that was a pretty great formula for television for many years until, I would say, 20 years ago when Mm -hmm. you had the reality TV revolution and lots of unscripted shows, lots of shows Mm -hmm. about launching young people to fame or about competition among women. And they basically took the, the most tasty parts of the Miss America formula and improved upon them. They had story arcs that lasted an entire season, and they had so much more conflict, and they had a little more scripting, and um, higher stakes, you know, million-dollar prizes with American Idol and Survivor and things like that. And, you know, you go from a show where, as you might say, the subtext is, can this young woman advance in class and claim a, a prime spouse? To a show like The Bachelor, where that is literally happening, that that is the text, not just the subtext. Yes, yes. And, you know, Miss America <sighs> couldn't keep up. You know, Miss America was just a one-night show. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that there have been efforts over the years, most of them pretty ill-fated, 
for Miss America to circle around and bring up the rear of reality TV, right? To make the show more like the trend that in many ways it arguably inspired. Um, Hmm. I actually, you know, I have thought for the last several years that having a year or two when Miss America wasn't televised wouldn't be the worst thing in the world (laughs) because it would give the organization space to refine its message, understand what it Uh. is, where it's come from, what it's selling. Like, of course, you're going to have a hard time finding enough sponsors if Mm -hmm. your brand identity is not super clear. So, you know, I would say that the opportunity to be on Peacock could be an opportunity, but that's only if you're committed Hmm. to figuring out what your identity is, what the anachronisms are that go along with it, and how to message the entire package. You know, when it comes to the broader question of why Miss America still exists now, um, why the, the stakes have seemed to get higher in a way as the ratings got lower, I think it's about a community hmm. of people defending a set of values, about saying that, you know, It's okay for young women to want to be pretty uh, and to want to demonstrate that, to want to be talented. You know, the sort of uh, traditional model of American womanhood is still worth something. Uh, And whether or not I agree with that, that that is not unique to Miss America at all, that small town values matter, uh, sort of traditional small town values about what women should be and what they should aspire to and whether it's okay to just want to get married and have children, et cetera, which does not necessarily reflect most of the women who are actually participating in Miss America now, but it's in there. It's, it's in the, it's in the brew. I mean, do you see real serious, like serious conservatives going through or winning? I mean, you don't have to name names, but I mean, you know, kind of. Oh, sure. Yeah. Politically conservative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 What about the opposite? I mean, what about people who share your politics, Kate? Is that common or were you rare in that in that way? It's funny because I always think of myself as fairly centrist. And I would say that in the hmm. Miss America universe, I am further left than many. But uh, there's some of everything. There is, mm-hmm. however, I think a very strong conservative leaning streak that still runs through the institution so that women with more progressive values have to learn to talk about them in a way that uh, that is digestible. Yeah. But, you know, in recent years, we had we had two former Miss Americas running for office, both as, as Democrats. That's like any family reunion, I suppose. <laughs> it's more sparkly. Okay, I got to ask about the scholarships that the Miss America organization says are part of its mission. They've gotten into trouble recently for claiming they give out something like $45 million in scholarships when it's almost a comically small portion of that that gets actually distributed. I think John Oliver did a whole segment about it, and he explained the problem pretty clearly. Miss Alabama, in its 2012 filing, said it provided nearly $2.6 million in scholarships to just one school, Troy University, which blew my mind. Because if that's true, that must be the single prettiest school anywhere in America. But when we contacted Troy, it turns out the pageant got to that $2.6 million by multiplying the value of a single scholarship by 48, the number of competitors who could theoretically accept it. Even though the actual number of contestants who accepted a scholarship that year was, and you are not going to believe this, zero. (laughs) Absolute zero. But the only person I know who's ever entered the system, she was competing for Miss New Hampshire, and she was entirely in it for the scholarships. Like, her parents couldn't afford college. So how much of it is a punchline? And how much of the pageant is a real benefit to you? I mean, I won about $58,000 in six months to use for school. Even in today's dollars, that's helpful. So, I mean, it's both. It's, it's both a real opportunity and a convenient piece of messaging. And I think that one of the devastating things, I mean, that John Oliver segment was so brilliant mm-hmm. and, and yet really devastating because if you say you're giving out or making available a certain dollar figure, 
you better be pretty sure that it's accurate. It can be a smaller number as long as it's an authentic number. The scholarships, I think, have in some ways become a punchline because it's a scholarship program seemed like a convenient way to kind of spackle over a lot of other Mm -hmm. things that people didn't really want to think about or try to explain. So they made it this noble educational pursuit, but the anachronisms were still there. That's the inherent tension. And Miss America is basically like a story of this constant quest for respectability. Uh, Mm. You know, there's, there's business owners in Atlantic City. They actually shut down the pageant for a few years because they found it just a little unseemly. So when they started it up again in the 1930s, the the new leadership, a woman named Lenora Slaughter, she was very much focused on respectability. And Hmm. that came with, you know, adding a talent competition so it wasn't just swimsuits. And she would have conduct codes and chaperones and matrons and Hmm. all these things to kind of make it seem like a girl's school. And then Hmm. scholarships. You know, this is the thing that goes all the way up through the the debate over over swimsuits. You know, swimsuits were like there at the very beginning. This was like the origin story for Miss America. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yet for 50 years, they were grappling with whether this was the right thing to do or not. Is this good for women? Is this bad for women? Is this sexist? Is this objectifying? Well, in questions like, is this good for women? I totally agree with you, Amy. Mm. That's a question that gets asked. It, it, It assumes that women are a monolith. Right. I mean, like, yes. if, we, yes. if we can't move past the fact that it might be good for some women and not ideal for others, then we may as well not get out of bed in the morning as an institution. If, like me, you can't get enough of the fascinating history of this pageant, please check out Amy Argett Singer's book, There She Was, The Secret History of Miss America, and Kate Schindel's book, Being Miss America, Behind the Rhinestone Curtain. Coming up next week, a look at the hidden ways that emotions have impacted historic events. It was about using that kind of love for something to drive people to do unspeakably violent things. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you've got a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.